This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Tuesday, October 11th. Coming up, a new planned parenthood clinic opened in Kansas City, Kansas in June, and the demand for services has been overwhelming. It keeps me up at night, every night that there are patients whose calls are going answered, but their needs are unmet. Plus, the western Kansas town of Hayes uses less water per capita than just about any other place in the state because it's the only population center in Kansas with no sustainable source of water. But as droughts get drier and longer, even its best conservation measures might not be enough. Paints a picture of what we're up against this summer. You look west, you look east, and you don't see any water. That concerns me. But first, some headlines. People representing Native American tribes protested before the Kansas City Chiefs game yesterday evening, decrying traditions like the war drum and tomahawk chop. They say the team's celebrations and name feed into racist stereotypes of Native Americans. The Chiefs released a statement yesterday morning recognizing Indigenous Peoples Day and promising to continue dialogues with local and national Native groups. But protesters like Tokea Richardson say the team should be doing more. And they had this whole spiel in the in their newsletter talking about how they're honoring us and how they recognize Indigenous people say, you can recognize us, but you don't have to be like this. The Kansas City Indian Center says it will continue organizing protests until it's satisfied with changes made by team officials. Kansas will search the grounds of the Shawnee Indian Mission in Johnson County for potential unmarked graves of Native American children who attended a boarding school nearly 200 years ago. Kyle Palmer reports. Congressional records dating back to before the Civil War suggest Native children died while attending the Shawnee Mission Indian School in what is now Fairway. At its peak, some 200 Native children from nearly two dozen different tribes were said to have attended school there. Now the Kansas Historical Society plans to lead a study in the coming weeks using ground-penetrating radar to search the 12-acre site for any possibly unmarked graves of children. For their part, Shawnee tribe officials say they have requested to consult on the study in order to address, quote, serious concerns about the motives of the project, end quote. A Missouri professor has won the Nobel Prize in Economics. Philip Dibvig of Washington University in St. Louis won the prize for a 1983 paper that helped explain the role that bank runs play in financial crises. The model laid out in the paper has been cited 11,000 times and is influential in the study of finance and banking. Dibvig says he was surprised to get the news. I didn't expect it, but Uh, I've been told by other people they did, so it's not 100% of a total surprise. But I don't know, I I guess I, I didn't really expect it would happen. Dibvig shares the prize with University of Chicago professor Douglas Diamond, who co-wrote the paper, and former Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke. They'll split $886,000 in prize money. In June, amid political turmoil surrounding reproductive health rights across the country, Planned Parenthood Great Plains opened a new health center in Kansas City, Kansas. Since then, demand for abortion services has skyrocketed, leaving officials battling to ensure access to adequate care. KCUR's Noah Taborda has more. On any given day at the new Planned Parenthood Health Center in Kansas City, Kansas, a team of nurses is hustling to accommodate a growing number of patients. And then our lab right here. But it's really just this this hallway right now. Despite the commotion behind the scenes, the clinic is remarkably quiet, creating a space for patients to have often uncomfortable conversations, ones about their sexual and reproductive health needs. Reproductive health assistant Caitlin Bohannon said that's crucial. 
first thing we're gonna do is I'm going to take you into the sauna room. We're gonna get some information from you, take your ultrasound, and then we'll get you moving through the process. There's a lot of uncertainty about that process, and Plant Parenthood is working around the clock to make sure any concerns are addressed. If there's any hesitancy there, we would generally like stop the visit, slow things down, and possibly reschedule them for another day to make sure that someone's not making a rash decision. The new clinic opened in June to try and close a huge gap between the number of health care providers in Wyandotte County compared to Johnson County. There, they run another clinic about double the size. When they planned the new facility, Planned Parenthood didn't realize the critical moment they'd be in. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade just four days before they opened their doors, and a high-stakes run-up to a vote on Kansans' constitutional right to an abortion had all eyes on Kansas. The fall of Roe meant Planned Parenthood's three clinics in Missouri could no longer provide abortions, except in the most extreme cases. I happen to be a person of faith, and I think there might have been a little bit of divine intervention there in the, you know, the same moment surrounding states are losing access and patients across our four states. We opened a new center here in Kansas in the one state of our four that could continue providing abortion services. That's Planned Parenthood Great Plains Executive Director Emily Wales. She oversees Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and of course, Kansas. While Kansas voters in August reaffirmed the right to an abortion in the state constitution, nearby states did the opposite. As they did, Planned Parenthood found a new need to fill beyond providing services, answering a mountain of questions. At the beginning of this post-Roe world, people were calling largely with questions. And so the calls that we're getting now are not questions, they are needs. They are a need to get in for an appointment. Whale says more patients are traveling up to 10 or 12 hours for an abortion, but most women who want to go to the new clinic for abortion services will never step foot in the building. Only about 10 to 15 percent of patients requesting appointments can actually get in. The rest are referred to other providers, often in faraway states. It keeps me up at night, every night, that there are patients whose calls are going answered, but their needs are unmet. To better meet demand, both Kansas clinics have lengthened their hours and increased staffing. The Overland Park site is now open on Sundays. But extra hours mean extra work for staff. And that takes a toll. So earlier this month, the Great Plains organization made an unprecedented move to shut down all its clinics for a week. The break gave staff time to recharge and, for Wales, time to consider how to reach those in desperate need of care. If care is not locally available, a lot of people are not going to be able to get it. So it is going to be, I think, a long, awful period of time when more and more of those stories have to come out and people realize that these bans really are cruel and they are not political, they are very personal. Despite the critical moment they find themselves in, Wales knows it's important to proceed carefully. There are no immediate plans to build another clinic as they are still adapting to the new facility. So for now, the organization is still tracking where those in need are traveling from and how to connect them with vital services, in their clinics or elsewhere. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Noah Taborda. Hayes has become sort of the California of Kansas, a place where people don't flush a toilet, linger in the shower, or tend to a lawn without thinking about how much water they're using. It's an outlier in Kansas now, but as climate change intensifies droughts, more cities here might have to embrace similar conservation practices. David Condos of the Kansas News Service reports. 
It's Thursday night at a street fair in Hayes. Some kids line up to see the fire engine or eat pizza. Others run over to get their moment with a big blue local celebrity. You want to go say hi to that big old water drop? Go say hi to me. <laughs> That's Water Smart Wally, a five-foot-tall raindrop, the mascot for the city's water conservation program. As soon as we came in, it's the blue drop. Wally gets around, parades, festivals, classrooms. Kids love him. He loves hugs. <laughs> So he gets lots of those. Holly Dickman is the city's water conservation specialist. And as far as she knows, she and Wally are the only ones doing their particular jobs in the whole state. Saving water is just part of life in this northwest Kansas town of about 20,000 people. And it starts from an early age. It's not every town where kids draw pictures of people xeriscaping and using rain barrels in the annual art contest. But Dickman says changing the way Hayes thinks about water took generations. That's how it is. If you grew up here, you lived with it, and that's the culture. We are that way because we had to be, we have to be. Hayes has no other choice. It's the only city in Kansas with more than 15,000 people, but no sustainable source of water. It's caught in the middle, too far west for reliable rainfall and reservoirs, and too far east to tap into the massive, if disappearing, Ogallala Aquifer. So when prolonged drought hits, things can get dire. People here still remember the water crisis of 1992 when taps almost went dry. Here's city manager Toby Doherty. It was a wake-up call for the city leaders at the time. So Hayes put some real money into conserving what little water it has, giving rebates to residents who install low-flow toilets, paying homeowners to replace sprinkler-dependent lawns with drought-tolerant native grass, irrigating sports fields with wastewater. That saved more than 100 million gallons last year alone. When people in Hayes turn on the radio, they might even hear seasonal ads scaring them away from wasting water. Making adjustments to your everyday water usage may sound scary, but there's no need to feel like a monster. Some changes haven't always been popular, like the one enforced by Hayes Police that says residents can't water their lawns from noon to 7 p.m. for part of the year. And if these sound like the types of extraordinary measures you'd see in the desert southwest... It's because we've had to look to places like Las Vegas and Tucson and Phoenix. I mean, we stole our landscaping regulations from Utah. And it's worked. Today, Hayes uses roughly half the water it did four decades ago, even though the town's population has grown by 20%. It now goes through less water per capita than just about any other city in Kansas, even less than Phoenix. The problem is we are the only city in Kansas that is acting like a city in the Mojave Desert or the Sonoran Desert. Because of that, you know, a lot of the state looks at us as the poor people that don't have any water. But as climate change pushes dry western weather eastward, Hayes could get some company. Decades from now, cities like Wichita or Salina might have to rethink their own water use. Here's Nusha Ajami, a water expert at the Lawrence Berkeley Lab in California. A lot of communities are grappling with this, like, drier droughts, longer droughts, and a little bit of a shift in mindset from droughts being an occasional thing to maybe droughts are our new reality. But Hayes leaders fear that even their best water-saving efforts might not be enough to help the city survive that new reality. Hayes Water Director Jeff Crispin hikes down the bank of the Smoky Hill River, which feeds the city's primary water wells. Most years, it's one of the main rivers in northwest Kansas. Now, this riverbed is bone dry, etched with tire tracks from four-wheelers. Paints a picture of what we're up against this summer. You look west, you look east, and you don't see any water. That concerns me. To shore up its long-term survival, Hayes plans to build a 70-mile pipeline to bring water in from three counties away. But even if that gets state approval, it'll be years before it's up and running. So once again, Hayes finds itself caught in the middle. 
hoping the water-saving endeavors it began decades ago can help it hold on a bit longer. Those have to continue, especially for years like this. For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Condos in Hayes. The Kansas News Service, based here at KCUR, reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. You can find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Noah's story on Planned Parenthood and David's story about water conservation, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll take a look at how communities in the Midwest are handling the increased risk of flooding brought by climate change. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. On Thursday, September 15th, FBI agents arrested a former police detective on charges that he raped, sexually assaulted, and kidnapped two women in the 90s. And this was a big deal. He was known on the street for messing with women that were on the street. She told me don't ever go around her because he was the devil. She called him a snake but it's not over. It's still not over because he got arrested. He got to get convicted. Roger Galuspe should pay his debt. I'm Peggy Lowe, and I've been reporting on former Kansas City, Kansas police detective Roger Golubsky and corruption within that department for the past two years, which is why I know that these federal charges are just a tiny piece of a decades-long story. In 1994, Roger Golubsky put an innocent man in prison for 23 years. There was nothing to tie me to this crime, nothing. They made up the whole entire thing. And it wasn't until 2017 when that man was exonerated and a list of murdered and missing women appeared that people in power started to realize how deep this story went. You understand that we're accusing you of terrorizing black women in Kansas City, Kansas for decades, correct? On the advice of my attorney, I invoked my Fifth Amendment constitutional rights. After I heard about all these women and the things that went on, that was one thing that I was really scared about because I'm like, this man is a homicide detective. Death is nothing to him. Her murder was never solved, right? No. For decades, Roger Golubsky used his badge to exploit women, and it was an open secret. They saw this, what he did, right before their eyes. And the common refrain was, well, that's Roger being Roger. But there were people in Kansas City, Kansas, who tried to sound the alarm. It's just that not enough people listened. Overlooked is a new investigative podcast from KCUR Studios and NPR's Midwest Newsroom, where we're going to dive into the whole story. So the FBI said he might be connected to the murders of how many people? Girl, they said a lot. And meet the people leading this movement, demanding justice and accountability. Rhonda Tribune whose family is here with us today. She was murdered on October 8th, 1998. My sister can't speak, none of the women can speak, so we have to be their voice. We have to be their voice. Overlooked. Subscribe now.